most people are willing to have an intelligent, constructive dialogue about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I can't get past it. I'm trying to get past it, cause it's, but it's just so cool that, um, you know, because you hear just uh, this whole dynamic around the market access and working together and all, all these things are kind of, I think, in a very fluid state, maybe, um, where, you know, I, I, it's still like one of the biggest questions I get. How do I get access to markets? How do I, you know, be a good partner? And, um, and, and, you know, there's the, there's the, the traditional aggregator models and then yep. there's the, which I don't think you guys play in that space, do you? We do. We have some relationships with, um, not SIA, do you? Uh, we, we have one relationship with an SIA master network that is relatively fresh. Okay. And experimental is probably yeah. more of an exaggeration than intended, but it's a way of dipping our toe in the water. And um, the, the master agency is also an agency that we have known and have had a direct relationship with for years, and they've done a great job for us. So they've built this out and... and um, as we began to try to understand it, we've been asked by others and tried in the past. And it fundamentally, aggregation is something that does not align strongly with our core distribution approach. Um, but when you've got a model that really is trying to use the tide to raise all ships, yeah, and quality agencies, and trying to drive sales practices, and understanding the value, and aligning the right carriers with individual members rather than just trying to apply the carriers to all members, you do find some fit. So this is the question that I forgot at lunch that I wanted to ask. You got, we were talking about perpetuation and, and yeah. I was like, Hey, we can't, we can't, um, we can't move that rock or whatever. We can't do that alone. Um, I guess, what do you guys think that you, like, where do you, where do you uh, provide the most value to agents? Like, what rock can you move the best and or fastest? Or? See, I think that's a fascinating question. And, and um, it's, a, it, it's an interesting dynamic in that uh, I do think an individual carrier will only have so much success in that. And it's, maybe it's a little cliche and maybe it's not even accurate, but I think that an agency... They certainly look to their carriers, especially their high-value carriers or their, you know, their top couple of carriers, um, as wanting to have some seat at the table awareness, and they look to carriers to help provide resource, um, but they're only willing to go so far with what's driving it, what's the financial state of the, of the agency, um, and really opening up in the covers and what's the deep emotional driver of the agency owner through this. Um, because I think you, know, you, you still have this, this, this culture of carrier and agent being separate entities and trying to get from each other. Uh, so there's an inherent, um, maybe an unspoken belief that a, an indiv each individual carrier would have a bias or an agenda through yeah. the perpetuation. Um, and then a consulting firm's the same way. I mean, they wanna sell an engagement. So, to find a true neutral party or a true neutral neutral stance in that is, is relatively rare. Um, but I think what is happening though is those relationships are becoming stronger and carriers, I mean, we're trying to figure that out. And to say we have done this hundreds of times is, is over and over exaggeration, but yeah. you really do get to the point where there are agencies who will welcome a conversation with a carrier to sit down and say, let's just talk about 
like what are their options? And so we've done that more and more and more. I've built, I mean, I've built a deck, a slide deck that we can kind of walk through, State of the Union, considerations. I forget the, the exact number, whether it was eight or nine, but we've come up with like, we, like we've actually been able to label options an agency would have for what's next um, into eight or nine. And doing nothing is an option too, I guess. Um, and then just to think through with like four or five bullet points under yeah. each of them, like, like what the, would the considerations be? Um, take Westfield out of it or any of your lead carriers, but what do carriers generally want to know about each individual model? Um, and then what matters most to you? So um, we try to ask them like, like start with what you want before you start to think about the model. So don't think you need to sell. Don't think you need to join X, Y, or Z, or don't, yeah. like, what do you really want? And if, if you want to work a few more years, if the name on the door matters, if protecting key employees matter, um, you know, do you own your building? Do you lease your building? Uh, you know, all these types of things go into um, the way a potential suitor would be looking at your agency, the way they would yeah. value their agency, the way they would assess the cultural fit and the timing. and. I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say a lot of folks haven't really thought through that deeper level. It's just a response to, hey, I hear agencies are selling at an all-time high, um, and I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on that, or, hey, I've got this, this long-standing internal buy-sell for my partner, and the value in that's pretty low, and um, I want to talk through that. And so well, I guess one of the cool things we do have that's different than a lot of carriers is the relationship we have with, with Westfield Bank and the agency banking arm there. So it's, it's, it's not even a shameless plug, it's a direct plug for them. Yeah. Uh, because the folks in that world, that is all they do is agency lending. So they do a lot of internal perpetuation loans, new producer funding, uh, true merger or full-blown acquisition loans. So you know, while they're not, they're not in the consulting game, they've worked through this so they can talk you know, with an agency about it. And there have been times where we've sat at the table with them together just to talk in totality about what, about what would this look like and what is real. I don't know if that helps or not, but it's, it's just hard to do that. Yeah. I think it's a, it's cause it's a bigger, it's bigger than what one carrier can offer or how it will impact one other carrier. Cause this is a life's work for an individual or a family. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the biggest threat that we we're looking at uh, from a perpetuation standpoint is there's that kind of um, the danger zone where you've got the, you know, if it's a family business or something like that, or even a just a generational business, if it's going from you know one to the next, it's you got the the old generation that that thinks they still got it, and you got the young generation who thinks it's my time, and getting through that you know five to ten years, I think, is what ultimately. Is, is the hard part. I, yeah, it's an interesting observation. It's, it's, it's probably even a little harder core than I would <laughs> use, use to articulate it, but I don't, you know, I don't fault anybody for thinking that. What, I, I guess the way I would articulate maybe the similar dynamic is that the senior generation truly just doesn't want to stop or they don't know what life looks like when they're not working. Um, and months become years, and somebody who at, in their 60s was thinking about what's next is now in their late 60s, 
and nothing has happened. So now you've got somebody who was 35 who looked like the next generation who's in their, er, in their yeah. early 40s. And I've seen this, I'd run out of fingers telling you how many times I've seen this, yeah. where I've known agencies for a, for a number of years and it's always been John or Jane is gonna take it over, John or Jane's gonna take it over, John or Jane's. And then I didn't know it at the time, but in the last five, six, seven years, you start to, well, what are you doing to actually make that happen? Make that happen? Do they have stock yet? Yeah. Do they have a seat at the table? Are they making decisions? And it's like, no, I still own 100% of the agency. And if you go to a person in their mid-40s and say, now it's time to, to write the check, <laughs> yeah. I've got a kid in college yeah. or about to start college. I'm buried in my mortgage. And living leverage is hard. That's one of the biggest concepts. Admit. So when you're starting to vet who that next generation is, I mean, I mean, you could call any of the big dogs, Marsh Berry or Reagan or any of the folks that work on this stuff. They'll start to talk about it. To find one, you've got to hire like six. First of all, are they even going to succeed as a producer? And then do they want to get to the point where they're actually capable of running an agency? And then how do you get to the point where they are? Are they willing to live leveraged? Um, and it's a, it's a hard thing. So that dynamic in of itself, and then you start to think that as the longer you get into the cycle to where you have done nothing, it, it's, it's a real statement to say that your agency actually becomes worth less too. Um, because it probably hasn't been reinvesting back into the things that make it viable. So sometimes you end up, end up in that dynamic where it becomes, I can't perpetuate internally, which was somewhat, you know, maybe self-fulfilling. Yeah. But then when you want to go sell, you're faced with the dynamic of you're probably just going to be selling a book because a, a legit acquirer probably isn't interested in the agency in of itself. Right. They've probably figured out how to assimilate all the back office to move the needle, to maximize their returns, and they may or may not want your location or all your staff, so yeah. now you're worth less than you thought you were, and so it's a funky deal. It would probably be a humbling experience for um, an agency owner to go through that process without any intention of selling, of what a third party would say about you know their life's work of like, yeah, I don't want that building. Yeah, these processes, they kind of suck. You know I mean? Like, and then just kind of getting an outside perspective of like, listen, this is not valuable to the market, if you will. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I, I, I full disclaimer, obviously, and it's, it's probably painfully obvious, but I never even had to buy lunch for my family by running an independent agency. I just, by virtue of this role, I get yeah. to talk to a lot yeah. of folks that work through that. And, and I would think most buyers don't say it that way, but when they do their due diligence, it's just... These are the way we value certain assets. And there might be buyers that certainly want to just hit somebody between the eyes. But Come on, Chris. Have a little fun with it. All right. <laughs> but I just think it's just one of those things where it's just... But however it's said, it's humbling. I think you nailed that, that right on. I mean, yeah. this is my life's work. I built the building. The family's owned the building. My dad maybe have bought the building. And, yeah. and so then now if you sell the agency out from it, but the acquirer doesn't want the building, I've seen this get in the way. Well, like, what am I going to do with a vacant building? Yeah. That hasn't been updated or remodeled in 20 years either. So these are real scenarios that just like, I'm just going to wait. 80s decor is coming back, Chris. It's coming right back. What's that? The 80s decor is coming right 80s back. 80s decor you know? is coming back. As we you guys wasted a whole bunch of money. It's, it's right. coming right back, you know. I miss the paneling truck coming back. But, yeah. Um, but all that stuff is real. And those are like nuances that folks just, I don't think that when, by the time you get to the end, having thought through all of those dynamics makes it, makes it daunting and sometimes just just going home at night and not thinking about it or saying you'll talk about it tomorrow 
And every time you say you talk about it tomorrow, if you've done that for 10 years, then you know that's where it's at. And so, you know, we talk about this like it's doom and gloom. There are options for agencies like that. Yeah. Um, and today, well, you know, I mean, the economics could change or interest rates could rise or, you know, the tax code, it seems to have some issues later. And, you know, in 2022, I think is when the, um, the write-off stuff starts to go away. But I mean, there's still people paying a lot of money for agencies. So yeah. even being less than market value today is probably worth, worth more than what you were 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, that, so the idea that, you know, we, we also talked about, you know, talent and recruiting. And I think these two conversations are very much related. They have to be completely integrated. Because, you know, I think, I think the, the, the young generation is looking for something to care about a lot sooner. And the, the longer it takes for them to get that, the less they want to stick around. And so, like, yeah, we might get a bunch of people that try it for a year or two, but they're like, eh, this dude's, like, 60, and I'm, you know, it's like, it's, so it's uh, establishing sort of, like, maybe an industry benchmark. I would be curious just, like, just kind of just personality, you know, trends and things, like, of, of, of what the average time is and, what, you know, when that conversation should be happening. Because we assume we have an idea of right. when it should be happening, but maybe it's, maybe it's two years after somebody's hired or something or whatever it is that... Listen, if, if you want to, if you think that this is for you, then let's talk about what this looks like. And it's a, maybe it's a five year process or whatever to kind of protect yourself, whatever it is. But yeah. You know I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think that whatever that looks like, um, I think there's some, some, some first, uh, you know, I guess a couple things there is one of which is usually you're not considering a candidate as a potential owner or shareholder until they've actually validated as a producer. So that's a two to three year dynamic to begin with. So can you actually earn, can you actually sell enough to pay for yourself? Um, and that's usually, unfortunately, I guess depending on your point of view, where most potential owners comes from is out of the producer ranks. So I, think, or, yeah, I think that's the dynamic that's also getting us in trouble is like you, you have to come from being a producer yeah. and the But you'll see some folks now where maybe you're an operations person yeah. um, and you've been around seven, eight, nine, ten years, but you really get it. Yeah. I've seen some pretty cool agencies give folks that grew up maybe through the back office ranks a chance to buy in. And one literally is in my mind as a very specific example. So, and they've done a phenomenal job of perpetuating a couple of folks at top that share the, the majority of the shares and there's folks underneath that are starting to buy. And so now you got an agency that's at its grown, you got four or five folks buying shares and one of them is, a, is somebody that came out of the operational ranks. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's. I mean, that's a dynamic that's kind of old school, right? You can't yeah. own unless you can produce. But yeah. not every producer can own. I mean, there's a different personality set yeah. there. We see that with startups. Yeah. So being a rock star producer doesn't mean you're a rock star agency owner. Some do it. Some nail it. Right. Uh, we we had, we had a situation in a. Um, leave the geography and everything alone, but um, this agency is only like two and a half years old as a startup yeah. and a spinoff. Um, bought a seed book and went rolling and. Gosh, by by estimations, might be getting close to two million in revenue yeah. in like three to four years. I mean, that's killing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's agencies that are seventy years old that don't have two million in revenue, yeah. um, and that's okay. But back to the timing. Timing is really key. Um, and a shameless plug back for the podcast we're doing. If you follow the one that we did with Mike Wagar from Westfield Bank, the number one theme was timing, timing, timing. And so yeah. you've got to give a person a runway by which to buy up. Yeah to whatever sort of dedicated or allocated amount of shares they're gonna own, and then a period of time by which they're going to own it. And then real best practice is, 
here's when you have to start selling it back. <laughs> so you don't right end then, up yeah, with full circle. somebody at, you know, very, you know, very tenured yeah. blocking the next somebody generation. Yeah. So, and then as an agency grows, you've got to be willing to understand when, when do you get to the point where you go from one owner to two, two to four, because if you don't have that model, you become big enough that any one person probably can't buy it. And then you're forced to sell yeah. to one of the large buyers. But there's different theories on how long that takes, but I've seen, I've seen some of the best industry folks talk about it as like a 20 year runway. You buy over five years, you're an owner and kind of doing your thing and building your over the 10 and then the last five is when you systematically sell it back to the company or your successor and then by a certain defined age. And so back to your point about the millennials, they want something to care about, they want to understand how they have back. Yeah. If you've got that path and you say, this is the criteria we look for in a perfect owner, somebody that would be considered, these are some behavioral things, this is what your success looks like in the org, and then this is what ownership would look like. Yeah. It gives somebody a chance to react now and say, that's never for me, or that is for me. And now you, have, now you know how you have to coach, develop, and mentor those folks. Yeah, ideally, if you do get to a situation where you have multiple owners, you would think you would want different competencies in the decision-making room. You know, like, hey, you know, I'm yeah, we got the producer, we got the back office, we've got the marketing person. You know, you got the different areas of the business that would potentially be represented. That's just a guess, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you probably could cite examples where that's true and they're successful, and yeah. Scenarios where folks are nearly clones of each other and they're successful. Yeah. Um, but I think the key in all this stuff is collaboration and being open-minded and continue to try to drive, you know, drive into the future. I guess. That was kind of I don't know. That was slightly depressing, slightly motivating. We walked a very fine line there, Chris. What is something <laughs> that you are? What are you excited about? Like, what's the, what? What is? What are you? Just this is the future. I we can make we can make change here. This is something I, I'm really excited about. I mean, I think all the stuff we've talked about, I understand that it's depressing, but it's really not. I mean, it's an opportunity. And so, yeah. you know, personally and the stuff we're doing here um, is really all geared around trying to really find what is out there on the landscape that we can invest in or partner with and then try to bring value back to our agencies to solve these problems. So, you know, if you're around, you're talking to Westfield a lot, you'll hear how important this whole perpetuation and succession is. Um, it's how important it is for agencies to be investing and just trying to understand how to utilize data to become better and be, become more insightful. Um, you know, the whole notion around marketing and developing into the future trends of the way consumers want to do business. I mean, that's all up. I mean, that's all awesome. And I don't think we've ever been at a more, more opportunistic time in our industry. I mean, there's so many different ways that agencies can differentiate. I mean, it's okay. I mean, you can be a data and analytics firm. You can be full bill marketing firm. You can be online and virtual. I think you can kill it as a niche boutique type agency. Um, there's just so many ways that an agency can be successful today. And it's exciting on the carrier side and in the relationships we've got with folks like you at Agency Nation or whether they're you know, true agency consulting firms or other third parties out there to have those relationships to just you know, try to sit down with an agency and understand what problem they're trying to solve for and to say we might have a solution internally, but hopefully we've got a relationship with somebody who can solve the problem and try to, you know, try to make those marriages and, you know, and ultimately win. I mean, we want every agency to be successful and realizing that all of them have a different definition of success, I guess. 
Um, but what fun fundamentally is the same when every agency turns the lights on in the morning is they want to keep every customer they've got, relatively speaking, um, and go find more. But after that, very few agencies are the same.